Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Hi, everyone. I'm Shimon Shkuri with Ariel Property Advisors. And today I'm excited to have with me Scott Metzner of the Janus Property Group, who's going to be our speaker here. Scott has been a friend and a client for many years. I actually got to know Scott a few decades ago out of a postcard that was sent to his office, and we started our report a relationship that led to many, many transactions, including helping Scott, his partner in Janus Property, to raise about $100 million in equity for one of their biggest projects in West Harlem some of which we'll talk about today. So Scott, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited for this conversation and let's get going. My pleasure. Thank you, Shimon, as always, for having me and including me in your podcast. Yeah, and I remember just going back to that postcard when we first met and we called each other. I called you out of the blue and said, look, I know you're an owner up in the neighborhood. I know you own a lot, but one of the things that strike me as so fascinating is that you had a multifamily portfolio at the time, which you still do. And you also, over the years and after you've developed your multifamily portfolio, started to really accumulate commercial properties in specific areas that you thought could be something that changes a neighborhood. And I was fascinated by that. And I wanted to ask you. What really made you do that? Or, or why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started and how you changed from a multifamily owner into a commercial property developer? Sure. I think when we first met Shimon, I think we had been already transitioning in our thinking from being driven by opportunities, you know, an opportunistic approach oh, this building sort of pencils out and we sort of like the neighborhood or the block. And so we do a deal in West Harlem and a deal in Central Harlem and a deal in East Harlem and then up to Washington Heights. And then we even expanded into the South Bronx. And I think when we met, we were already transitioning to thinking about, gee, we should invest and focus our energies more in a strategic way in a tighter geographic concentration, both so that our work would impact work we had already done and also be a little more strategic about neighborhoods that we thought our work would more positively impact versus just being a property owner in a certain neighborhood. And so I think when we had met, we had already started pulling back from our expansion into the Bronx and upper, upper Manhattan, the west side in particular, and thinking more about central Harlem and west Harlem and concentrations of ownership. And I also think that when we met, we had just started this idea of watching the multifamily world and the affordable world in upper Manhattan go from a sort of a pioneering area where, of course, we've been involved for 30 plus years, where initially there were very few people who were not bottom fishing and often predatory buyers and lenders to 
HPD and other programs sponsored affordable with a capital A housing developers and owners. And so by the time we met, I think the world was becoming more liquid and there were more and more developers doing and investors doing <laughs> affordable housing. I remember when we barely knew each other, seeing your name on a gigantic sign while I was standing on the platform of Metro North at 125th Street. <laughs> and uh, I remember. And, and your role at Massinackle, I know, I mean, you guys, I think, helped make the market very liquid up here. That's very, very generous of you to say that. Thank you. But, you know, I, I never thought about something you just said, which would strike me as super interesting. And that's that you really owned. I now remember that you did own also in the Bronx and in Washington Heights and in locations that are not necessarily central Harlem. And now I realize how intentional that decision, that impact, so to speak, decision was for you, Jerry, to really concentrate and focus where you did. And that district right by the expansion of Columbia University is fascinating because you started focusing on these commercial buildings on 126, 127 at the time before Columbia, I think, made a decision to really make a play there, which I find super interesting. And you now attract many tenants, smaller tenants, bigger tenants in the life sciences arena. So tell us a little bit about that concentration, about how you was initially attracted to that district and what you see there today. And, and maybe tell us about the most recent signing that you had there in terms of a tenant signing in one of your buildings. I'd be happy to. At any rate, we identified Central Harlem, Lower Central Harlem, and West Harlem as areas that we wanted to maintain our concentration and grow our concentration. And in Central Harlem, it's largely mixed use and affordable housing really ranging from 111th Street up to 118th Street, where we have a good concentration of properties. Um, in West Harlem, we had done our first development as far back as the late 1980s and ultimately had moved our office there. And you're correct that we liked the dynamics of the neighborhood, both how much help it needed in improving several decades ago and how I think physically all these amazing old factory buildings and brewery buildings, how cool they were and how interesting they looked and how we could potentially expand our business at a time when housing and both condos and rental housing was getting what we thought really, really competitive in upper Manhattan. And we decided, my partner Jerry Salama, as you, you alluded to, and I, that, you know, let's try and get out there among the first people to think about a new property type that Upper Manhattan hadn't really seen developed in a long, long time, commercial. And these old factory buildings largely did not lend themselves to residential conversion, and they were largely obsolete in many ways. And so... By virtue of us already owning in the neighborhood and having our office, I was able to go and basically knock on the doors of our neighbors and search them out when they were absentee neighbors and started with one acquisition and over a couple of decades assembled a multi-acre district that in conjunction with the community and local leaders and the community board and the city 
ranging from the mayor's office to EDC, the Economic Development Corp, to city planning, to the Landmarks Preservation Commission, really craft master plan where we incorporated into the urban fabric a campus style, a really subtle, beautifully designed master plan with a range of building types ranging from gut rehab to uh, gut rehab with a build over mm-hmm. to new condition. And as you said, we've made this recent tilt over the last five or six years mm-hmm. to life sciences, which has become a very hot topic in New York City. And we've signed many leases now with life science tenants, both not-for-profit and for-profit. The Mink Building in particular is today probably 80% leased to medical and life science tenants. And as you mentioned, even over the pandemic, we signed several leases for laboratory space. And most recently, at the end of the summer, we signed a lease with Hemogenics Pharmaceuticals. And Mm -hmm. we're finishing right now a 10,000-square-foot laboratory that includes two clean rooms for their very specific use. So it's been a, you know, really a fascinating, fascinating run. And I think if you look at the landscape of New York, the fact that we are adjacent to both amazing public transportation, fantastic historic districts, beautiful housing, and probably most importantly on the life science world, sitting next to both Columbia University and City College and all of the other infrastructure, the New York Structural Biology Center, the Mount Sinai Morningside Campus, the Columbia University Medical Center, New York Presbyterian Campus. We're very, very excited to be leaders in this world right now. Yeah, and I think that is exciting. And I think that one of the things you mentioned is the amount of buildings and acreage that you have there. I think it's about a million square feet in total. How many buildings is that? And the fact that you have a campus there One of the more exciting things for me as a tenant, if I'm coming there as a tenant and I have like-minded businesses right on campus with me, kind of creates an environment that I want to be in. So I think the fact that you have a campus and not just one building is super exciting. How many buildings is that and what is in construction? What is right now being developed? What will you be able to develop in the future? If you want to talk a little bit about that. So this happened over time, of course, this assemblage, but it's made up of probably 25 to 30 different properties. And we're still even now negotiating for more and have our eye on longer term other properties. As we've combined some of these properties, we'll probably end up with 10 to 12 larger buildings. But what's unique, I think, about, as you described, about what we're doing and about what makes this neighborhood and this district so beautiful is that it's an area where the surveying of the streets happened in sort of a non-linear way like the rest of Manhattan other than say Greenwich Village or southern Manhattan and so you have we're right in the middle of where 127th Street actually connects to 126th Street and so it creates almost a medieval urban district And what we did was take that really tremendous and unique feeling, Mm -hmm. and we layered on top of that landscape series of pedestrian pathways and open spaces. In fact, we Mm -hmm. were recently written about in Architectural Digest magazine, and the landscape designer, Theodore Hare of Terrain Work, has just done an incredible job of creating these 
really unique landscaped areas that use a similar vocabulary, but that each of the interconnected pieces has its own personality based on the buildings that they're connected to. So for instance, the Tasty Lab building, which is a new construction, curtain wall, 350,000 square foot building that the landscape passageway fronts on 125th Street, which is of course the major commercial and arts and culture corridor in Upper Manhattan. The landscaping is much more refined and elegant. And as it goes through the malt house on the north side mm-hmm. of the street, 125th to 126th to 127th to 128th Street, which is a combination of a restoration of the existing brewery buildings, the landscaping becomes much rougher and much more in tune with the existing buildings. And so I think post-COVID, in fact, the idea that there could be all this outdoor gathering space is very, very positive, and we're getting a great reception with that. But also the buildings themselves have a variety of private outdoor spaces. And so you can sit on the terrace of the sixth floor of the Tasty Lab building and look across the street and have a connection even with the private terrace on the seventh floor of the malt house and look down and see the public outdoor space on the west side of the Tasty Lab building. And so it's really just a remarkable neighborhood and a super friendly neighborhood and very pedestrian oriented. Unlike other of these larger projects, whether it's Hudson Yards or even Alexandria Center downtown, we are purposely not closing the gates. This is not a private community. These public accessible areas are landscape and amenities for the neighborhood as well as the tenants. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I mean, if you drive up Broadway, you can pretty much see on the right side, your district, north of 125th Street, on the left side, you see Columbia University. And I do think these two has been completely changing the neighborhood over time, which is really fascinating to see. So, Scott, as we're finishing up, any closing words? It looks like you built a life-changing event, not just for Janice Properties, but also for the neighborhood, uh, for the residents of the neighborhood, for the people who are enjoying Columbia University, for many current tenants and future tenants, which is exciting. I mean, this is not something you do in a few decades. In many cases, these are things that are happening over generations. So you really did it rather quickly from a real estate perspective, at least. And that's pretty impressive. Do you want to add anything else before we close this great discussion, hearing about you and how you guys built that district? Any closing no, comments? I, listen, I want to thank you, Shimon, for those kind words. And I would just encourage anyone who hasn't spent any time over the last couple of years while we've been locked down in Upper Manhattan, I think people will be shocked to see from river to river. If you look at Columbia's new campus, you look at our campus, you look at the Studio Museum, the National Urban League, you look at the Renaissance Hotel, the hotel that's being developed next to us by a private developer, and you go over and see what's happening at Metro North. It's just remarkable how everything that has been in planning individually and collectively is actually happening and has happened. And I think as the city comes back to life, you know, Upper Manhattan will be a huge part of the vibrancy of life in the city. And we welcome people to come up and enjoy it with us. 
can't agree more about Upper Manhattan and the vibrancy. So thank you so much, Scott. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we look forward, Scott, to coming up there and seeing you and celebrating with you. Thank you. Thank you, Shimon.